now I would like to invite Kevin Larson, our lead pastor here at CARS, to come up. Uh, Kevin is going to be preaching on Matthew 6.10 uh, in our Lord's Prayer series, which is within our Matthew series. And I would also like to invite all of you to stand up as we read Matthew 6, 9 through 13 together as a church. You can read it up on the screen or you can find it on page 811 in one of the house Bibles in the pews. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. <laughs> Alright, I'll go ahead and pray for Kevin. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time when we get to gather together and worship you and learn from you. I pray for Kevin as he goes to preach uh, from your word, just that you'll give him the right words to say and give us all ears to listen to your word. In your name, amen. Well, welcome, everyone. <coughs> welcome, everyone. Hello. Good morning, good morning. We took a short break to spend some time soaking in our Karis vision. If you missed those sermons, you can go to the website and listen to the Identities and Rhythm series. Uh, but before that, we were slowly walking through the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm excited to be back in that Gospel book today. And we're in the middle of what's been called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is probably Christ's most famous section of teaching, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Um, when we pause before, we just finished up looking at chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. And there Jesus teaches on giving, on praying, on fasting, respectively. But if you didn't notice, we flew over a really important passage of the Bible, what we just read, what's been called the Lord's Prayer. Now, as many have rightly pointed out, that title is a bit of a misnomer because it makes more sense to call it the Disciples' Prayer. And that's because Jesus gifts it to us. He begins by saying in verse 9, pray them like this. So he's teaching us how to pray. In Luke 11, it comes as a response to a request of his disciples where they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Christ gives them what they ask here. And this is a prayer that's meant for more than just them, though. It's meant for us, for disciples, for learners of the way of Jesus to help us know what to do when we seek to pray to him. Now, this can be prayed as is, as we just did. The church has used it that way throughout history. If you remember the verses before, we have to watch out, though, that we don't pray it ostentatiously or mindlessly, because then we go against what Jesus teaches and what he wants for us. But it's better to see this as less of a script and as more of a model as maybe an outline, maybe a priority list for our prayers. Now, this might be about the, the time that you decide to, to tune me out, because you might be thinking, I'm really bad at praying, or I'm not even interested in praying. But before you head for the exits, think with me a second about what prayer is and how we live as humans in this world. Maybe it's not as hard or weird as we might think. Now, maybe I'm just really weird. 
probably true. But if you're at least somewhat like me, you go through your day doing a lot of thinking and talking and longing. What do I mean? We're pretty much always thinking. We're mulling over things in our heads. And we engage in a sort of dialogue with ourselves. I mean, don't tell me I'm not the only one, but... Even more, we're thinking about, we're talking about things we want, right? We're walking around processing our longings. Maybe something like this. Man, is she really going to make me do the laundry again? You've got to be kidding me. Well, this isn't my situation because it gets done before it hits the bottom of the basket, it seems like. But why can't she show me any respect? Do I seriously have to do laundry again? Wow, I hope that interview went well. I've been waiting for an opportunity like this for so long. It's perfect for me. Please, Lord. Come on, I can't understand why this has to keep happening to me. Now cancer? What did I do wrong? Have I not suffered enough? Oh, I sure hope that she notices me. We can be so perfect together. It seems like I strike out, though, every single time. My word, I can't believe what he just said to her, and that we live in a world like that. It, it's 2022. Unbelievable. I don't know how I can just hold in all this anger. Does any of that sound familiar? What do we do with those cries? What do we do with those rants? What do they have in common? Well, they're words that are spoken to us, first of all, and they're about us. We're talking to ourselves, first of all, and we're talking about our wants. We're thinking about and talking about and longing for things all the time, and it's all to ourselves and about ourselves. Now, this may sound weird, but hear me. That's not much, that much different from prayer. We're just talking to the wrong person, and we're talking about the wrong priorities. Maybe it's just we need to be redirected, and prayer is not as hard or weird as we think. Last week, Aaron Ferguson kicked off our journey through this prayer, and he looked at verse 9, which reads, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There we see that God's personal. He's our Father, but He's also infinite. He's holy. And we should be a people who long for our Father to be seen as such, as majestic, as glorious as He really is. And that should be a regular prayer, what we long for, what we call out for as we go about our days. We should be about Him. We should be about His glory. And that leads into this verse that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to our God, who's also our Father, and we have His glory first and foremost in mind. Well, the first thing that Jesus tells us is that we should long for God's reign. Reign. R-E-I-G-N. Reign. Jesus says, pray like this. Your kingdom come. But first of all, what kingdom are we talking about? His, of course. More on that in a bit. But what do we mean when we speak of the kingdom of God, or as Matthew usually puts it, the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom, we talk about this a fair amount here, and we certainly have in Matthew. The kingdom is arguably the theme of the Bible. God makes everything at the beginning. He puts Adam in the center of it all in a garden, and he asked that first man with his wife to rule over it all. They said, of course, everything spirals out of control. But that little kingdom of that garden, it points ahead to a day when a new Adam, Jesus Christ, would rule perfectly over God's creation. Graham Goldsworthy likes to call the kingdom God's people in God's place under God's rule. 
And that's our hope that that would one day happen perfectly again. Where we who believe will dwell in the kingdom of God forever, the Lord would reign over us, and we should long and call out for that reign. Second, though, when are we wanting it to come? I love this more detailed definition of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is where the Father's rule is exercised through the Son by the power of the Spirit so that it is willingly obeyed, gloriously displayed, and happily enjoyed among His people in this world. When should we want that? Well, yeah, fully, finally, at Christ's return, when He comes back, when He sets up His throne and reigns forever and ever, and when we pray Revelation 22, 20, Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha, we're longing for this final, forever manifestation of the kingdom of God, and we're wanting it to come perfectly on that day. But we also want to see it increasingly come here in our day, don't we? I've been reading um, Patrick Schreiner's new book, Political Gospel. You know, I, I shared one time, it's kind of weird when a kid in your youth group writes a book that you're reading, but hey, that's, that's life. Um, but it's been really good. Political Gospel. And he argues throughout, and this may weird you out a little bit, hear me out, that our faith is actually a political message. Now that's so easy to be misunderstood. And he says we resist it, though, because we tend to be trained in America to make our faith a private thing where we're taught not to take what we believe in public and not make it something that shows itself up in the world. But think about this. We've been saying this over and over in Matthew. Jesus is one day literally going to return and reign as king over the earth. He is going to sit ruling over a kingdom. That sounds pretty political, right? And now, as more and more people become subjects of his kingdom, and they become of his, the part of his people, the church, as they become citizens of heaven, but still live life on earth, it changes things. We want to see his reign spread and transform what's around us here and now. What, third, keeps us, though, from desiring his kingdom? And I want you to hear other kingdoms, first of all. Tuesday's election day. And I've actually already voted, and unfortunately, another round of voting against people instead of for people, but that's another rant. Um, but there are people that are pinning all their hopes and all their dreams on what happens on that day, and do that all the time. Schreiner says another big reason why it's hard to see the political implications of the gospel is we've made it a partisan thing where we have pinned all our hopes on our political party, whatever that is for you, winning and reigning. And we see this on both sides, we do. But one issue that you maybe heard talked about today in the church is what's called Christian nationalism. Have you heard that term? Russell Moore, who's now the editor of Christianity Today, calls it the use of Christian words, symbols, or rituals as a means to shore up an ethnic or national identity. So it's basically seeing America as a Christian nation, as needing to get back to that place at pretty much any cost, and really understanding, really believing America as the hope of the future of the world. But that just greatly misunderstands the Bible. My friend Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks puts it this way. He says, the language of Christian nationalism, or Christian nation then, unaccountably slaps Jesus' name onto a modern nation state. 
It jumps from Israel straight to America without passing through Jesus and the church first. Chorus, we can love our country, but we can't worship it. America is not the kingdom we're longing for. We're longing for the kingdom of Christ. We can't get sucked into that kind of thinking. But, you know, that's not the only competing kingdom we're tempted toward. More than anything, I think you and I desire for our own kingdoms. Right? So you can try to build a little kingdom at your restaurant. And you can rule like a despot, a dictator, and make everyone around you quit or not want to come into work. I grew up in a home where my mom tried to control every little detail, from how clean and tidy things were to how my sister and I just lived. And it was suffocating. I could be tempted to make my home a place like that, where I'm on the throne, where other people bow. I could be tempted to make the church here like that. We can long for kingdoms like those. We can, wherever we're at. But we're meant for something so much better and greater. Well, how do we forth go about seeing this kingdom come? The most obvious thing that we have to see here in this passage is that we have to pray. I mean, that's the point of this section. It needs to be the point of the sermon. We call out for it. And we say, change our hearts, Lord. Change our world, Lord. Jesus wants there to be this yearning, this groaning as we walk around in our world that we walk around spontaneously begging Him to bring His kingdom down to earth. But we also do this at structured times, right? We can kind of go from one direction to the other, spontaneous or structured. We need to go before Him in our times of private worship. And it's so critical that we do that every day. We need desperately to come before Him together in corporate worship. And that has to be a priority for God's people to do what we're doing today. And as we do, we cry out for things like we see in this passage. But we've also been mentioning other times we're coming together to pray on Wednesdays, 6.30 a.m. at noon. I'll be there at noon, not 6.30 a.m. Um, and we'll be there to pray for your exam that's coming up or for your surgery around the corner. I've got a kid in college. I've got a wife who's been battling cancer. But we're mainly going to come together to pray prayers like we see in this verse that God would bring his kingdom down. But think about this. How else do we see God's kingdom come? How do people become a part of the kingdom of heaven, subjects of the king, the answer, by faith? Right? Reformation Day, a.k.a. Halloween, a few days, a few days ago. Justification by faith. That's where, that's, that's the way, that's the means to having a relationship with God. Where does faith come from hearing? And hearing through the word of Christ. Now that's from Romans 10, but hear what Paul says right before in, verses, in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, whom, in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So think about this. The Lord's Prayer, and especially verse 10, is a missional prayer. A missional prayer. And we need to be a part of the mission. So if you pray with your kids every night that the shelter down the street would have enough food, that they would have enough volunteers 
And you did that over and over again. Surely one of your kids at some point is going to say, hey, mom, dad, how about we go down to the store and buy some food and, and take it by? Or how about we go down there and serve? Aaron Ferguson said this week at staff meeting, and I said it, it sounded like a good contemporary Christian song. He said, maybe we can be the answer to Jesus' prayers here. I think he's right. The, the true gospel, the good news, was used in that day to refer to the victory of a king, the triumph of his reign. And heralds would go out and they would proclaim that in the streets. And that's what we're to do as well. As we pray for his kingdom to come. We go out and we tell the good news. We say the king has come. He has won. Bow before him. Give yourself to his kingdom before it's too late. That's what he calls us to. But before that, we have to long for it and express that in our prayers. Well, let's move on. The second thing Jesus tells us is that we should long for God's ways. God's ways. That comes from the second clause of verse 10, your will be done. So that should be a desire in our heart that comes out via our lips. But what first do we mean about his will? So we can talk about the will of God in the church, but we can get so easily confused. And when the Bible talks about the subject, though, it can mean a couple of different things. It's important to, to, to keep those straight. Sometimes the will of God can refer to God's plans. God's plan. This is what theologians have sometimes called his will of decree. So kings, they make decrees. This is the way it's going to happen. Bam, it happens that way or yeah, heads roll, right? God's plans. This is what God decides will happen. It always does happen. We may not understand it. We're not fully meant to, but they're God's plans. Now, an example here is that it's God's will that our current president is in the White House right now. We could say the same thing about the previous guy. It was God's plan. He's the true king. He reigns over the earth. He's the real president. Sometimes the will of God, though, can refer to God's commands. This can be called God's will of decree, or his will of desire. Previously, his will of decree, this is will of desire. An example to give you, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, where it says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So obviously, this is often disobeyed. God's plans are never violated. God's commands are all the time, and that's just an example. The Ten Commandments are an example of an obvious one of God's commands, but the New Testament is full of things that God says He desires, things He commands for His glory, but things that are for our good. So, plans, commands. Now, there's a sense in which I think the prayer can apply to the first type of God's will, where we plead with God for his plan for all creation, for the whole of human history to come to fruition. So we're crying out, Father, bring about your will for this broken world. So in this way, it's not that much different from what we just talked about, about praying for God's kingdom to come. But I really think this fits better with the second understanding, more God's commands than his plans, where we long that more and more people would hear God's word and obey it. Not just listen, but do it. That people God has made would welcome his reign, would follow in his ways, and we should be people that long for that and plead for that. But again, second, 
When will that transformation come? Much like last time, two answers to that. We ask for His will to be done by His creatures perfectly, eternally, beginning with Christ's return. So one day, as Philippians 2 puts it, every knee will bow. We ask God to hasten that day when His will will no longer be broken and all will be good and right. But we're also asking Him to bring it about here and now. That more and more of the world would confess His name before it's too late. That people would do what God asks and demands today. And that would be seen all over the world. That those He made would heed His orders, starting with the church and flourishing on the earth would result. Now, a bit of an aside. But think about, for a minute, these two prayers. So, for His kingdom to come and His will to be done, what are they? Now, a lot of things... And we'll, we've talked about some, we'll see more. But aren't they in part, at least in part, I think a big part, a cry for justice? Where we give God our pain and beg God to act? Pastor Brian Key says this is a prayer of lament. Where we give God our sorrows and our longing for healing. And Key says this, he says, lament cultivates longing in us for the hope that awaits us. Maybe you've never thought of this passage this way as a cry for justice. I can, I can guarantee you that oppressed people have, or many of our black brothers and sisters here have. We should be people that pray for this day when peace and justice will reign, and that more and more of it will come into the here and now, where things will be as they should be, when people do God's good and perfect will. But anyway, back to the passage. Well, third, what stands in the way of us longing for God's will? Other wills, first of all. We can submit to the kings of this world instead of the Lord of Lords. We can bow to the fear of man and woman instead of the fear of God. I'm not going to go off the rails and talk more about how messed up politically we are in America. But I'll just take this a different way. And it's a theme that I try to bring up from time to time here. Something more subtle. That we think that we're far more free and independent than we really are. Most of us here are born in America. Probably most of us are middle class. The vast majority are white, although praise God that's changing. Most of us in cars are pretty young. So generally, we think like young middle class white Americans. So we've been, sh we've been shaped by our culture in certain ways, and that's happening all the time. Somewhere you may have this bizarre kitchen gadget tucked away in a drawer or some really weird pillow stacked in a closet, things that Instagram told you that you just had to have and you could not possibly resist. Advertisers are telling us what we should believe, what we should own. Bots on the internet are feeding us articles that either rile us up or reassure us that we've got everything figured out. You and I are always being discipled. We're regularly being bossed around. We're obeying orders all the time. And the risk, of course, the likelihood is that we're not being discipled in God's ways, but the world's. But what, of course, gets in our way, in the way of this, most of all, is our own will. Again, back to the beginning, what really happened in the garden that messed up the kingdom? Subjects just not listening to the king. Adam and Eve asserting their will, right? Like a little child, no. First word, you know, that they seem to use and assert, no. That's been our problem ever since, right? I love the way Paul Miller puts it in his book, The Praying Life. 
the great struggle in my life is not trying to discern God's will, it's trying to discern and disown my own. So put another way, God's will isn't something to be found, it's not been lost, it's in its word, it's not hard to find, it's something to be heard and obeyed. And that's the hardest part because so much of the time, I just don't want to. And you know, I think it's harder, it's as hard as it's ever been today, why is that? Because our culture has drunk down and tweeted out that we can and should do whatever we want. Right? You be you, you do you, follow your heart. And this is what can be called religious relativism, where you choose your path, authenticity is the goal, the worst possible thing that you could do, the cardinal sin of cardinal sins is judging someone else's thoughts or behavior. That's the new golden rule. There we just write our own rules. We come up with our own de demands. And that way of living can be just as dogmatic and judgmental of any kind of religious um, commands. But friends, don't go be a Christian nationalist. That's bad. But don't go be a Christian relativist either. That's also not helpful. We can't say we're a follower of Christ, the Messiah, the King, and not obey what he says. We have to resist. We have to fight against from our own will most of all. As Pastor Missionary Cole Brown puts it, anytime we pray for God's kingdom to come, we are praying for ours to fall. Well, how do we proceed forth in seeing his will to be done here? Obviously here, most importantly, we pray. For our world, for our nation, for our city, for our leaders, our schools. It starts there. This is a prayer. We ask God to move. We long for this. We beg for this. But we don't just pray for them, right? We pray for us. Because how can we pray about God's will being done if we're not willing to seek to do it ourselves? We don't just pray about it, but in His strength, we seek to obey His will. And how do we know, go about knowing God's will in the first place? Not a hard question. We've talked about it already. The Bible. That's where we learn of His ways. Right? And it's also where we develop this relationship we've been made for. Say you're married, you're dating someone, you both realize your communication isn't real strong. You're not talking to each other much at all. So you look at the other and you say, here's how we're going to do this. Let's start this way. I'll start talking, you start listening, and we'll go from there. It's better than no communication, but that's just not going to go well. It's got to go both ways, right? Here's the difference. God's allowed to tell us that. Right? He's allowed to tell us that. And that's the way our relationship with Him starts and how it's maintained with us listening. Where again in His Word? We listen, and how do we respond? How does the relationship end up going both ways? We pray. So he talks through his word. We talk in our prayers. And let me say, I think that's the best way to approach prayer. Read God's word. Respond to what you need in prayer. We talk here a lot about in the Psalms, but in all the Bible, I'm really excited that God timed it out. So that we have all these free copies from Don Whitney's book, Pray the Bible out there, please take one as you go. 
that were given to us to, to bless you with. It's such a great resource. Do you want to learn how to pray? Use the Bible. Read that book because it will help you do that. But let's be a people who long for God's will to be done, church, and are willing to, again, be the answer to our own prayer and have it start with us. Where we long for his ways to be honored and obeyed. My last point, the third thing Jesus tells us is that we should long for heaven on earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now when I tell you that you should long for heaven on earth, that might make you kind of jumpy. Your heresy detector might be going off. Because there's a bad way that this can happen where we can fall in love with the things of this world, right? Where we can give ourselves to earth and miss out on heaven. But do you know how the Bible ends? How the story ends? The greatest story ever told. You, may, you might not have heard this. It's not with us jumping like Bruce Willis off a burning building. We don't go flying up in the sky looking back on this exploding earth. It actually is the other way with heaven coming down to earth. Here in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. So think about that. Like we often think we as humans escape this earth. Now this is saying heaven's coming to us. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. That sounds a lot like the kingdom, right? The garden expanding and covering the earth. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, or crying, or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And heaven comes down. The earth is renewed, and yet justice and peace will reign. Mark Sayers says that heaven is where God's will happens in fullness. One day the kingdom is going to come, and he will reign, and his will will happen in fullness here. Sin and sorrow will cease, and there will be joy forevermore. But again, we're asking for God to bring it into the here and now, to see glimpses of how heaven works all around us. Yeah, as people embrace the kingdom and bow to his will, but also as his reign and ways began to impact and transform the world around us. Giving a signpost, giving us foretaste of the coming kingdom. And how does it first come? How does it primarily come through prayer? That's the obvious thing that must grip us here. Prayer. Our power on earth comes from our Father in heaven. Right? People like to say, maybe you've heard this, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. But if we really want to do good, if we really want to make a difference here, we need to lift our hearts to heaven. Yeah, from perspective, but in prayer. And ask God to do this. I think this clause refers to all that's coming through. So hear it this way. Oh, Father, as things are in heaven, is the way it works in heaven. Make them like that on earth. Your name hallowed. 
your kingdom reigning, your will being done everywhere by everyone. Cars, let's make that our prayer. Let's make that our passion. Now there's a shift in this prayer that, that happens in verse 11 where God tells us to call out for daily bread for him to meet all our needs. I'm excited. Jeremy Grove, one of our um, Karas folks that we've sent to Japan, is going to be preaching on this next week, verse 11. Um, for the rest of the prayer, so there's this pivot, and for the rest of the prayer, the requests are petitions that we make to God that seem more obviously about us. For provision, that one. For forgiveness, forgiveness our debts. For strength and temptation, lead us not into temptation. So there's this there's transition. But these first three prayers, that he'd be hallowed, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. Yeah, they're, they're about God chiefly, but they're also so much what we need as well. They're what's best for us. They're what we need as his people. So if you can recall any of that original self-talk that I used at the beginning. Lord, I don't know why I'm the one that's always remembering the laundry. But this, is, this isn't really about me. It's about your kingdom, not mine. It's your will that I care about. If you want me to do this for the rest of my life, to love and serve my wife, I'm in. Father, I really want that position. I know you want me to tell you how I feel, but I know I'll only be happy with what you want from me. Not my will, but yours, Father. I trust you. Put me where you want. Oh, God, I can't imagine why I have to have this condition. It doesn't make sense. It just seems wrong. But I know that you're in control. You're good. You're with me, too. Even if I have to suffer, I want your kingdom. I want your will. Let me show your glory as I go through this trial. Father in heaven, that girl seems so perfect. I want to be married. I think that's what you call me to. But I know when I try to act like king and I try to do things my way, everything gets messed up. I'm your servant. I'm your subject. You're king. I'll do what you ask. I'll rest in your care. Just help me to trust God. Lord God, I can't believe that conversation I just overheard. But I trust you. But I'm sick of this world of sin. Please bring your reign here and now. Let your ways be honored today. Bring justice, Father. Make all things new. Please, Lord. So there we're thinking. We're talking. We're processing these longings. But we're taking it to our Father. And that's really what prayer is. And a key prayer we should have ruminating through our heads and hearts is this one. Just imagine if we had Jesus telling us how to pray. How awesome that would be. We have that, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the hardest thing for us to learn and to live out. It's not about us. It's about him. God here gives us a different priority to this. He gives us a model, prayer, what should shape our longings as his people. Here's the main point I want you to hear. We should be a people who long for God's reign and his ways to break through and make all things new even here and now. Let's pray now. Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, forgive us for being so easily satisfied with other reigns, um, other people telling us what to do. Um, make us hungry for your words and hungry for you to work around us. Father, 
um, help us to believe as we sing that you're about breakthroughs, that you do great things, um, that our faith is so small. And um, just fill us with hope and joy um, in believing that, that you are good and that you're great and um, that you're going you're gonna to make everything right. Um, but there's so much that, that you want to do around us now, Father. Help us to be people that are convicted of our sin and seek to be obedient. Help us to be people that encourage us, encourage those around us, like encourage each other to bow our knee to do what you ask. Um, but Lord, just make us above all people who pray that, that um, just don't go around mumbling and groaning and complaining, um, but, but throw those imperfect prayers up to you, knowing that you care and that you hear. In Christ's name, amen.